Today's second Bible reading is taken from James chapter 2, from verse 14 to 26. You can follow along the screen or see page 1267 on the Pew Bibles. Faith indeed. What good is in my brother if a man claims to have a faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister without clothes and daily food. If one of you said to him, go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical need, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have this. Show me your faith without this, and I, and I will show you my faith by what I do. You believe that there is one God. Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. You foolish men, do you want evidence that faith without these is useless? Was not our ancestor Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son, his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that said, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteous, righteousness, and he was called God's friend. You see that a person is justified why, by what he does, not by faith alone. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave a lodging to the spies and sent them off to, in a different direction. As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without these is dead. This is the word of God. Thank you, Margaret, for praying on her behalf and Sue for reading so well. Thank you so much. Uh, do uh, have your Bibles open, use one of the pew Bibles if you don't have your own, and keep it open to James chapter 2. We'll work it uh, through this passage verse by verse. Now, I hope you've been finding the book of James encouraging because it's meant to be encouraging but also transforming. Such a practical book, but it's meant to change our lives. So let's pray that that might be so today. Heavenly Father, we pray that as we sit under your word again, that your spirit will be working to bring about a fruit in our life that will reflect the faith we have in Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All show no substance. All bite, all bark, no bite. All icing, no cake. All talk, no walk. All show, no go. Do you know what that means? You know what that means, don't you? And I suspect when you hear these idioms, it's very easy to just think about someone else. Or show, no substance. That's just someone else. The politician, with all their election promises, or well, once they're elected, no follow through. The friend who promises to call and to catch up but does nothing about it. 
or even the husband who made his marital promises, the vows to be faithful for life, but yet cheats on his life on his wife. You see, or show no substance. Or even the pastor who would preach about godliness, about loving God and loving each other, about serving, about being godly and holy. In fact, one of my previous pastors from a long time ago, you wouldn't believe this. He started a relationship with someone who was only very new to Christianity. She was married with her own children. He was married with his own family. And what resulted? This was a pastor speaking about being godly, about loving God. What resulted? Two divorces, two broken families and a remarriage. Hard to believe, isn't it? All show no substance. And up to only a few years ago, I heard was he was still involved in ministry. Hard to believe. All show no substance. Very easy to think about someone else when we hear these idioms. But I wonder whether some of these, in fact, describe us. I wonder whether we're inconsistent in any way. We say one thing, but we do another. We promise something, but we fail to follow through. We profess, I believe in God, but yet I live a life like God does not exist. It was Gandhi who once said, I like your Christ. I do not like your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ. Was he right? Are we inconsistent in any way? Have we disappointed anyone at all? Do we struggle with hypocrisy? Because if we do, and I suspect we do, I suspect that is all of us, we all fall short of the glory of God. But if we do, James has a word to us from this passage. He shows us from this passage how deadly serious that is to be inconsistent. And if we continue to be inconsistent, we might just show ourselves to be a fraud, a fake, a phony, and not a Christian at all. And so as we reflect on this passage, it's a risky passage because it calls for self-reflection. But it is a good passage because it does not allow us to pretend to be Christian. So let's have a look first. James he makes a point and is very simple and clear. All talk and no action is not for the Christian at all. It's not on. There's no point for any Christian to say, I believe in God, but yet live such a godless life. Or I believe in a Savior who loves me so, who even died for me, but I would not even lift up my finger to help another person. No point in saying that. All talk, no action is useless. Look at verse 14. What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such a faith save him? And now he gives just a wonderful example. It's just so blaringly obvious that this is not a genuine Christian man. He's a phony. And his words are just complete, empty, futile words. Look at verses 15 and 16. Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. 
If one of you says to him, go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? The point is clear, isn't it? What's the point of saying, I wish you well, I hope you're all the best, but when the guy is starving and cold and I have the means to help but I do nothing about it, what's the point of saying those words? They're just empty words. All talk, no action, is just fluff and hot air. And I wonder whether that gets us to just reflect on our life. Even this past week, have I been guilty of that? But then James, he's making a deeper point here. He goes on, not just all talk, no action, that is not on, but all faith and no deeds, it is dead. Faith without doing anything about the faith, it's useless. It's fake. It's a phony. And you cannot claim to be a Christian. Look at verse 17. In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. It's a very simple point, isn't it? You believe, you live like you believe, you act like you believe. Now some of you may not remember this, but... Back in 1970, there was a a big accident that happened in Melbourne. It's Australia's worst industrial accident and still to this day. Do you know the Westgate Bridge? When they were building, constructing the Westgate Bridge in 1970, parts of the Westgate Bridge, a span of it, about 112 metres span, 2,000 tonnes, dropped 50 metres. 35 construction workers killed. A royal commission was established and they discovered that the designers were found guilty of improper structural design and the construction itself did not meet the safety margins. The bridge, it was not completed for another eight years, 1978 when it was completed. Now if the engineers involved, they said, well we've fixed the problem now, the bridge is complete, 1978. The bridge is now safe to cross, but would not step himself a foot on the bridge, would not cross the bridge, what do you think that says? You might say all you like, the bridge is faith, but unless you go over it, drive over it, your faith is dead. And that's what James is saying. It's very simple with the Christian faith here. His point is simple. If you claim the Christian faith, then you must live the Christian life. Otherwise, It's just empty words. It's a dead faith. And James is here attacking the false notion that you can have faith and deeds independent of each other. But he says they go hand in hand. Verse 18. But someone will say, you have faith and I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds and I'll show you my faith by what I do. He's saying it's not possible at all. You claim to be a Christian, then live like one. If you claim to be a Christian, but you live like a pagan or an atheist, you're not a Christian. It's a simple point. But more than that, he's not just showing that your faith is dead. He's in fact now making a stronger point, and we'll find this shocking to hear. He's saying such a faith is demonic faith. It's meant to shock us. You see, there are no atheists in the demonic realm. There's no atheists amongst the demons. They all know God exists. They, in fact, know a whole lot more about God than us. Every demon will be a a better theologian 
than a Bible college student. When I went to Bible college, I had to learn so much. Four years of intense study. Hebrew, Aramaic, Greek, biblical theology, Old Testament, philosophy, and it goes on and on. I learned a lot. But every demon would know more than I do. They know the creeds. They know about the Trinity. They know that God is the creator. They know that God is powerful. They know the scriptures. But what's their problem? They know about God, but they don't trust in God. They don't obey that God is God. They don't love God. They don't live God's way. And so a faith without deeds, you see how shocking this is. It's demonic faith. Right theology only puts us on the same level as the devil. And so what that means is that we need to be careful. We who love theology, love to learn, love to grow in our understanding, that does not make us godly. To think it makes us godly, it does not. And so verse 19, he says plainly, You believe that there is one God? Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. Now, do you notice the response of the demons? Even demons know how to rightly respond to God. Because they know so much about God, they tremble with fear in the presence of God. And that's what we see in the gospel stories when Jesus went from village to village, healing, casting out demons. Who was often the first to recognize who Jesus was? It was the demons. In Mark 1, they tremble with fear. Have you come to destroy us? We know who you are, the Holy One of God. And so what that says, it says how wrong it is, how ignorant it is, how foolish it is for any average Australian to talk about God with indifference, with apathy. Even the demons know how to respond and they shudder, they tremble in fear. And so do you see what James is saying here? Faith without deeds is not only dead, it's serious. It's demonic faith. And so what is genuine faith then? What does a real Christian vibrant faith look like? What's one that saves? Well, the faith that saves is one with deeds. I believe it, so I live it. I profess it, so I act upon it. I trust it, so I apply it to my life. Now, some of us might be thinking here that James seems to be saying that our good deeds saves us, that getting to heaven is dependent on being good, being decent, being moral, doing good things, doing charity. But that's not what James is saying at all. We can only be saved, not by being good, by our merits, but only by the completed work of Christ on the cross. He alone is our saviour. He alone is our redeemer. Salvation is by faith in Christ alone. And so we can never get that wrong. But faith will always bear fruit. Genuine faith will always bear fruit. And that's why when you live with anyone, when you be friends with anyone for a long enough period, you should be able to sense and see whether that person is a genuine Christian because a genuine Christian will have Christian fruit. Last week we finished off our Christianity Explored course here at church and I had a good chat with uh, all of them, but one in particular, 
he came along, still exploring Christianity, still with many questions, but he was engaging with the, the nature of faith. He, he said, you know, if I believe, it seems so simple. I believe in Jesus. I am forgiven of my sins. I get salvation. I get heaven. I get it all. So does that mean then that I can just live my life the way I want? I get it all, but I live my way. Well, the answer was, I said to him, no. When you do believe, your life will change. It will have to change. If I profess that Jesus is my king, what do you do when you have a king? You listen to your king. You obey your king. And so your life will change, which means if I'm a Christian, I'll think of myself less. I want to love God. I want to serve. I want to love his people. I want to be generous. I want to live for God alone. My life will change. And that's why Martin Luther, he puts it this way. He says, we are saved by faith alone, but the faith that saves is never alone. Hopefully that gives us the clarity we need. Our faith in Jesus saves us, but our faith will produce fruit. It will do good things. It will reflect the Christian life. And so James here in verse 20 now, he says, You foolish man, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? And he gives two examples. First, Abraham. If you want to talk about the man of faith, Abraham is the man you go to. He's the father of faith, the forefather of all the Israelite nation. He's the example. He's the model of faith. Now, how did he show his faith? He didn't simply say, I have faith in God. He showed it. God said to him, leave your country. Imagine God saying that to any one of us. Leave your country. Leave your home. How do you show that you trust that God, what God promises is good and true? You leave your country. That's what Abraham did. God said to Abraham, sacrifice your son, your only son, the one who, who, who will be the, 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 the Lord of nations, the one who will raise all your descendants and sacrifice him. And what did Abraham do to show that his faith was real? Well, he was willing to even sacrifice his own son. True faith holds nothing back from God. But of course, God stopped him before he did. But he was willing to put his son's life on the line because he trusts God. And so James says very clearly, verse 21, Was not our ancestor Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together and his faith was made complete by what he did. Do you notice that? Your faith is not complete until you show it in action. What he did, you see that repetition, what he did. A Christian faith must be shown in a Christian life. And so verse 23 now, and the scriptures was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness and he was called God's friend. You see that a person is justified by what he does and not by faith alone. Because the faith that saves is never alone. You see, this should just get us to reflect on our own life. We might be going to church for quite a long time, do all Christian things, but our faith, if it's for real, it will reflect the life that God wants for us. 
the life that reflects the life of Christ, the life of a Christian. There should be examples of our faith in action. Now, James, he gives another example, Rahab. This time, the complete opposite, a prostitute and a Gentile. But she showed her faith in God by putting her own life on the line. You see, to harbour and to protect a spice, she was putting her life and her household's life on the line. It would have been a bit like in Germany during World War II, a German who would harbour and smuggle the Jews to safety. That was how dangerous it was for her. But she did that and she showed her faith in doing so. And so verse 25, in the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? And so he gives two wonderful examples. The point is simple, but a very important point. If you call yourself a Christian, you cannot be just all show and no substance, all talk and no action. All faith and no deeds. The faith that saves is never alone. And so James sums it up, last verse. As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. It's a simple point, isn't it? And it's so blaringly obvious. But you see what I meant at the beginning. It's a risky passage because... We all have to reflect on our own life and we have to make a call. We all have to make a call, don't we? Am I for real about my Christian faith or am I a fraud? Am I genuine about my Christian faith or am I a phony? Is there evidence of my faith in action or is there no evidence at all? It's just all empty, futile words. Now, I'm very mindful that hearing a passage like this, for some of us listening, we might hear this and we might feel weighed down and burdened by a passage like this. I know I don't do all I should for Jesus who loves me so much. I know Jesus deserves far more, my total allegiance, my complete love, and so I, I hate it when I'm inconsistent. I don't like it when I fail him. I hate it when I, I'm not as kind or as gentle or as self-controlled or as humble and loving as I should be. If that's your feeling, and your feeling, does that mean I'm no longer a Christian? Does that mean that I've lost my salvation? Well, if that is you, what you need to hear are words of comfort. You see, your salvation does not depend on what you do. It's only dependent upon what Christ has done. But if we find ourselves inconsistent in our failings, what we need to hear is that there is always forgiveness. We come to Jesus and there's forgiveness. And God is always working. As we allow ourselves to sit under his word, he will transform us so that there will be fruit. But then for some of us, Hearing a passage like this, we might be thinking still, this is not about me at all. I'm not like that. Or I don't really care. Well, if that is your feeling this morning, if that is what you're thinking this morning, then what you need to hear 
is the strong and stern warning from James. You cannot be flippant about your faith. You cannot be indifferent about what you profess to believe. If your entire Christian life makes no Christian difference to how you live at all, then you cannot call yourself a Christian. And whatever faith you claim is really just as good as the demon's faith. No place in heaven. And so it's a stern warning, isn't it? My faith must produce fruit. But of course we hope for better things. We've all got the example of Jesus Christ himself. And imagine what Jesus did if he only talked the talk but did not walk the walk. If Jesus came to earth and said, I'm a friend of sinners, but never spent a time, any time with the prostitute, the tax collector or the sinners, that would have been a fraud. If Jesus says, I'm here to love you, but showed no love or compassion to the sick, to the dying, that would have been a fraud. If Jesus said, I've come to save you, but never took up the cross, never walked the path of Calvary, never died on the cross to, to die for our sins, that would have been all fake, all show no substance. But of course Jesus did. He did not just walk, talk the talk, but he walked the walk. He said it and he did it. He promised it and he fulfilled it. He said he will save us, and he did it. And if our Saviour, Jesus, who trusted God with his life, how can we, his followers, be any different? The Christian faith is seen in the Christian life. And so it's worth us reflecting on aspects of our life, whether our life really reflects our faith in God. And so if I believe in a God who is so generous to me, if I believe that God has provided all I have and all I own, how should that be seen in a Christian life? How should that be seen in my life? Well, if God's been so generous to me, that should affect how generous I am to others. Generous with my time and my home and my money and my love and my efforts. If I show no generosity at all, it shows that I don't really trust a God of generous giving. Or if I believe in a God who is holy and pure and faithful, how should that translate into my life? Well, if God himself is holy and pure and I believe that and that's what he wants for me, then I live like God. I be a person of integrity, of honesty, of above reproach. If I'm married, I remain faithful always, even when it's difficult. If I'm single, I remain pure because that is good for me and I trust God. If I don't, then I actually show that I don't really believe that what God says is good for me. Or if I believe that God is coming back to judge everyone, and just like in our first reading, he'll divide the sheep from the goats. There'll be heaven and hell, black and white, as simple as that. If I really believe that, how should that affect my life? If I really believe that there are so many lost souls around and there's no hope for them unless they hear of Jesus, how should that affect my life? Well, it will mean that I'll have that gospel urgency. 
I, I, I tremble because there are so many who are lost, who are without hope and salvation. And so that affects my life, means I give my life to God, I proclaim Christ. If I show no urgency, it shows that I don't really believe that. Or if I believe in a God who has forgiven me, I believe in a God who has shown compassion and mercy and grace to me, how should that affect my life? Well, the way it should affect my life is that I show mercy and forgiveness and grace just like God. And that's perhaps a question for us to even reflect on. How do we behave? How do we live out a life of grace and compassion and mercy? Those who can put into practice, they show something of God. Those who can forgive even when it's difficult, so show something of what God is like. Just this past week, I came across this story. It's a, it's a fascinating story, shocking and, and moving altogether. You may have heard of this story. It's a story of a female police officer, Amber Geiger. She was sentenced to 10 years in prison for murdering an innocent man who was just sitting on his couch eating ice cream. Uh, a black American who was an accountant. She thought he was in her apartment, but he was just in his own apartment. So she came in and shot him and he died. Now what was shocking, shocking was what happened at court after the sentencing. The murder, the murdered man, his brother, Brant Jean, here's a photo of him, he said some shocking words, but by his action, we can see what he believes. He said a few words, um, and, and these are some of the things he said. He said, after the sentencing, I hope you go to God with all the guilt, all the bad things you've done in the past. If you're truly sorry, I forgive you. And I know if you go to God and ask him, he will forgive you too. I mean, he said this and he was choking up. How do you say such a thing? You see, his actions show what he believed. I love you just like anyone else, he goes on to say. And I'm not going to say, I hope you'll rot and die. I mean, wouldn't you want that? His brother's just been murdered by this police officer. I want the best for you, and the best will be to give your life to Christ. I don't wish anything bad from, for, from you. I mean, how could anyone bring themselves to say such a thing to the one who murdered your brother? But you see, his faith was in action. His faith was played out in his deeds. He showed that he has a faith in a God who has forgiven him so much. But, but yet in this story, it's fascinating. You can watch it on YouTube. After he said those things, he turned to the judge and he said, Can I go and give her a hug? And so he went, and they were both tearing up. He gave his brother's murderer a hug. Actions show what you believe. But that wasn't even all. The judge, Tammy Kemp, she got out of her seat at the end of the trial. She came across the, the courtroom to Gaia, and she brought her own Bible for her. She said, you can have mine. I have three or four at home. This is the one I use every day. 
This is your job for the next month. She opened a Bible. You can watch it. And she turned to John chapter 3, verse 16. And we know that verse, don't we? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, so that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Gave that to her. She embraced her. And she was overwhelmed. She whispered into the judge's ear. And the judge's res- judge responded by saying, Ma'am, it's not because I'm good. So she probably said, you're such a good lady. But she said, ma'am, it's not because I'm good. It's because I believe in Christ. None of us are worthy. And so let me ask you, you hear a story like that. You see their actions. You see their deeds. What do you think they believe? Well, they both said it, didn't they? They believe in a God. Their faith is genuine has borne fruit, gospel fruit, to do even such a thing. And so this morning, for all of us, if we do profess to believe in Jesus, we can't just be me talkers. We might even be going to church for decades. We can't just be me talkers. Our life must reflect the Christian faith. But the faith we have must always be accompanied by deeds. So that all we do, all we say, all we are, will bring glory to God. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we know that we live a life and we can never fool you. So help us to live a life where we need not fool anyone. That by your spirit, the faith we profess will bear fruit for the kingdom. Grant us all a faith that is vibrant and a faith that is never alone but filled with fruits for the gospel. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.